Hello everybody, my name is Tina and I am a certified life coach. Welcome back to the Pursuit of Confidence podcast. Let's get to it. Hi everybody, so today I'm going to share my relationship with me and my brother. So Nathan and I are fraternal twins. He is the oldest male and I am the second girl. We are 43 minutes apart and I was a surprise. The way the story goes is that they didn't have good ultrasounds back then and they didn't ever detect two different heartbeats. And so when I was born, everybody was surprised. Nathan and I spent a lot of time together, as twins do. And when we started growing apart, it was a bit difficult for me to handle. I loved my brother with every cell of my body and not knowing how to navigate the adulthood we found ourselves in was extremely hard for me. During the years, I liked all of my brother's girlfriends, and throughout that, I was never really jealous of them. And even when he got married, I was really happy for him that he had found love and a place to belong. When we were teenagers and we walked to school, he would always carry my backpack along with his, and he always would wait for me if I fell behind him. In middle school, he knew that I didn't have clothes to wear, and he always let me wear his jeans and his t-shirts. And when he was on the basketball team, he always made sure I would stay and watch him practice. When we were kids, I was always awake early, and I used to go into his room and wake him up, and he would listen to my rambling and then send me back to bed. And I was always more than happy to listen. Like, I remember in kindergarten, I loved learning how to put letters together. And then in first grade, I loved learning how to read. And I would wake Nathan up early in the morning and tell him all the things that I liked about school and all the things that I was looking forward to and how reading was important. And he literally, I remember this, he would just literally be laying there shaking his head, nodding. And then he would tell me, okay, I go back to bed now. And I would just run off and go back to bed. And then as we were getting older, when dad would lecture us and he would beat us, Nathan was always the one to comfort us girls. Even when we grew up and I would tell him my troubles of being a single mom and stuff, he would listen and he would tell me how amazing I was and what a good job I was doing. And he would encourage me that there was no reason to cry. Sharing a bond with someone who you innately feel like is literally your other half is something that just cannot be explained. The comfort and the ease and the intimacy that comes with that is so beautiful. And for so many years, I wasn't aware of it and is one of the biggest things missing from my life now. I know I will never have this again because it can only come from being a twin And not having Nathan himself in this world is still something I cry over on a regular basis. However, I live with his memory and his love inside of me, and I do let that be okay. And I really do think that it's okay to keep grieving my brother. I don't ever want to not cry over the loss of him. I don't ever want to feel like something is missing from me when I think of him. I don't ever want to be okay without him. Even though I do find myself being okay with him, I never want to think to myself, it's okay that he's not here. Nathan was a funny and loving guy, and he was sensitive, and he was charming. 
He loved being a dad, and he loved being social. He loved basketball. He loved Michael Jordan. He loved The Office, the sitcom The Office. He loved jerseys, and he loved jeans, and he loved button-down shirts, and he loved taking a shower and getting dressed and feeling good about himself. He had so many friends. He had a very good work ethic. And he wanted to create a big, big world for his little family. And Nathan loved a good time. He liked going camping. He liked going out. He liked doing things. And he loved being the center of attention. He loved laughing and playing and screwing around. He would always wrestle and he always tried to rattle cages. He taught his boys how to be like that too. Like little stunt devils and just loving the thrill of it all. Growing up with Nathan as my twin has been one of my greatest joys in life. And having my memories of our childhood with him in it has made the sting of our childhood a whole lot less. I remember when we were always taken to what my dad called Rat Park and he would threaten us with it. Nathan was the only one who would comfort all of us and tell us how it was just a lie and dad was just making stuff up. He was always the comfort of us. As him and I were making our way in our 20s, our lives were very much still intertwined and we didn't really start to drift apart until we were both 32. I was getting used to my new job in the hospital and he was getting through going through a divorce and learning how to be a single dad. I remember we used to talk about that struggle and how I handled that of being single. And he would come over all the time with his boys and stay for hours on end. And sometimes I would put together like family dinners and family gatherings to make sure he had a place to bring the boys for playtime because he was in between a job or a place to live or in between girlfriends. After his divorce, he was getting worse at keeping a steady job. Whereas before, when he was married, he had a steady job all of the time. He had a nice house, he had a nice truck, he had things. And then he, around the time leading up to the divorce, they went through like bankruptcy and stuff. And then after the divorce, he always found himself bunking with a, a buddy or he was just out all of the time. He was just gone. And through this time period, we found out that Nathan was having a hard time with addiction. He was in a troublesome relationship with this troublesome girl, and they were both into some pretty hardcore stuff. Now, we all tried our best at helping him and supporting him. For instance, our youngest brother, who lives in Illinois, one summer told Nathan that he could come live with him. And so I had given Nathan gas money and a little bit of money to live on to go there and stay with our little brother. And our youngest sister had driven him to Illinois, so she spent almost two days on the road for him. Our other little brother, who has a family, had Nathan living with him for a few months during one summer as well, when Nathan was trying to get clean. And our other little sister even had him living in her apartment for a minute. And he stayed with me on and off too, but it was very inconsistent because of my responsibilities to my daughter, but he would stay on my couch for days at a time, or he would shower at my place, or he would just come over and eat. And he even went to rehab twice, and we all supported him in that as well. One time he was in jail for, um, I don't know, it was maybe like two weeks, 
and I visited him and I made sure he had stuff there. But it was around the time that his boys were supposed to go back to school and he was worried about them getting new shoes because he was supposed to get them new shoes. And so I ended up getting the boys new shoes so he didn't have to worry about all that. And we all helped him with food and cash and just trying to help him in any way that we could find possible. And during this time, after he got through um, the divorce and everything, and he was living this erratic life, he was just, he seemed to be confrontational all the time and paranoid. And he would have me pick him up at weird hours and then the next thing I knew, it's the middle of the night, and he would just be disappearing. He would have us bring him cigarettes, and he would be scared that someone was following him or following us or watching him, and he, he, he wouldn't open the door all the way. He would just be paranoid, and he would be argumentative and say that people didn't care about him, especially if we couldn't do him a favor. Well, you don't care about me. You don't care what happens, and he would just throw things out there like that that didn't even it it didn't make sense that he would be like that because he was never that way he was declining right before my eyes and I didn't even notice and I just kept thinking I he just needs to get some help why won't he get help and around this time when I was thinking this I gave him the number to the therapist that I had seen years earlier and I gave him resources to get state help and state care in order to pay for all that stuff. But I didn't know how to make him go get the help. And so I didn't end up hearing from him for like eight months. I mean, I would call and he would never return my calls. And then all of a sudden his phone was disconnected. Then I would find a new phone number from for him, like through his girlfriend or through Facebook or something. And then that phone was disconnected. And it was a cycle of this not knowing. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe I just don't want to know. And then I would feel guilty. And then I would be angry at myself for feeling guilty. And I'd be angry at him for making me feel guilty. And then I would just be like, okay, I'm giving up. And then I would see his boys and I'd be like, I can't give up. I want to see my brother. And so it was just this cycle of months of doing this. And then... I remember distinctively our last phone call. We had argued. And I will tell you what, God help me if I could take that day back. I just most certainly would. But he had called me and it was it was a little bit late at night. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And he wanted to borrow money from me. And I told him that I just didn't have it. And he told me that I think I'm superior than him and that I need to just get off my high horse. And I simply said to him, I said, Nathan, I can't save you. You have to save yourself. And he hung up on me. That was the last time I talked to my brother. And so a couple of months later, his oldest son and my little sister had called me to tell me that he had passed away. I was in the OR and I was scrubbed in. My phone kept going off. And so I had the nurse that was with me look at it and to make sure it wasn't my daughter's school. And I saw that it was my nephew and my sister. And I just thought to myself, you know, okay, it's no big deal. It's just them. Next thing I know, my charge nurse comes into the case and she tells me that there's an emergency call for me at the desk. And I go out there and I answer and it's my sister. And she tells me that the police had called um, my brother's ex-wife and his 
ex-wife was calling me from my nephew's phone and trying to get a hold of me, but she ended up calling her and I just started crying. I fell to my knees and I just started crying, you know. My twin brother, who was a light and a blessing in my life, he had committed suicide. So I leave work. I had somebody come get me because I didn't feel good enough to drive. I was so emotionally distraught. I had them drop me off at my nephew's house and my sister-in-law's house, my brother's ex-wife. And I just wanted to be there to support them. And we were asking all these questions about how it happened and where he was at. And so I started making phone calls. And I found out that he had went to the ER um, the day before, the night before. And he told them that he felt like hurting himself. And so they took him by ambulance to this place called Common Ground. And then so I called Common Ground to see what had happened. And they told me that he was discharged because of no insurance. Now, it was a lot of finagling with this because of the HIPAA laws and stuff, but since I was his twin sister and his next of kin, and I worked in the healthcare industry, I was able to get some information. And so, he was found the next morning in his hotel room by the cleaning staff, and he was identified from the wristband on him that he still had on from when he went to the hospital. So that's how we, I found out he was at the hospital. And he had been living in this hotel room, and the room itself held, held all this evidence that he was there for a few months. And I ended up taking all of my savings, and I paid for his cremation and his services and his week. And so, like I said, I was his next of kin, so I was doing all this planning and talking to all the officials. And then I helped my mom get here to, for the funeral, and I was helping her, his boys, you know, get ready for the funeral. And, and all that kept me really busy. And next thing I know, it's a week after his actual death where we have his funeral and his wake. And it's our 36th birthday. He died a week prior to that. And on our birthday was when we held his funeral and his wake. And I didn't really process that until months later. I mean, when I started processing it, I was a complete emotional wreck. All I did was cry. All I did was act out and I became bitter and I held grudges. I felt guilty. I felt angry. I was alone. I felt abandoned. I had so many emotions and so many thoughts I had so many unsaids between me and Nathan that I was left wondering and guessing. And I was at a complete loss as to what really happened. And I couldn't really talk to my brothers and sisters. It was like we were all dividing too. We were all at a loss as how to help each other. And this deep feeling of loss and this deep feeling of missing Nathan, it just hasn't gone away. It's been almost eight years now and it doesn't feel as raw and fresh but it still feels deep. And I don't think I ever want to get rid of this feeling of missing him. But learning how to live with this kind of pain and grief, it took time. And it took a deep dive into how to handle it and how to process these unexplainable emotions. This was the biggest reason why life coaching became so important to me. This was one of the biggest reasons why I searched out an answer to my emotional distress. And life coaching was that answer. And let me tell you, it has helped me so, so much. 
And I want to tell you all, if you have lost someone close to you, if you, if you have lost someone who was so important to you, I promise you that it's okay. It's okay to feel these emotions. It's okay to bask in the love that that relationship brought you. And next week, I want to share with you how life coaching helped me in this process and how it too can help you with all the emotional distress that you may be dealing with or trying to understand through the processing of these emotions and understanding your loved one's relationship with you. I want to thank you all for sharing this episode with me. It was hard to put together. It was hard to record. I took some time before I recorded and just kind of allowed my feelings and processed them and cried and just allowed it all. And I want to invite you too to allow these emotions. Allow them to be there. Be vulnerable with yourself and be honest with yourself. And I want to thank you for allowing me to bring this here and being vulnerable with you. I really do appreciate the space that this has created for me to bring this. So I will talk to you guys next week. And I hope you have a wonderful and beautiful week. I'll talk to you soon.